for better or for worse, the first reaction was pretty broadly, why did you do this? Yeah. <laughs> it's legit. Yeah. 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 I mean, there was there was a lot of, aren't you the mutants and masterminds guy? Why didn't you, why did you do this? Yeah. Uh, sort of a thing. And I was like, what, you only eat one thing? <laughs> Sometimes we were going to order Thai, okay? <laughs> right. Like, you know. I like pizza, but it doesn't mean that I don't like Chinese. Steve Kenson may be best known for his work on mutants and masterminds, but that is not the only game he's been a part of. I sit down with Steve and we talk about mutants and masterminds, as well as his other games, Icons, Expanse, and Blue Rose. We walk through his approach and philosophy to creating games. I was especially interested in his ability to shift gears depending on the game or the desired look and feel he's going for. He was a great guest, so sit back, relax, and enjoy my time with Steve. Third Floor Wars delivers interviews, insights, and discussions about everything hitting the tabletop. Rule books, plastic models, dice, and cards in hand. Let the gaming begin. Tabletop games let you escape and unleash grand battles and regale epic tales of adventure with your friends. If you love gaming and learning from players, designers, experts, and creators, you are in the right place. Pull up a chair. Craig and Ray welcome you to the third floor and the Tabletop Talk Podcast. Howdy friends, Craig here. Now when the subject of supers and role-playing games comes up, my next guest is always going to be in that conversation. Steve Kenson created Mutants and Masterminds, Icons, and getting out of the superhero genre, we've got something that's a favorite of mine, the Expanse role-playing game. He has written novels and has developed material for a long list of games, and instead of rattling them off, let's just start talking about them. Steve, how you doing? Welcome to the third floor. I'm doing very well, thanks. Thanks for having me. So, Steve, one of the things that I always like to find out, especially from creators um, in a, you know, in, in tabletop industry is um, how did you find tabletop gaming? So when there was a day you didn't know you could pretend to be other people and throw dice and then all of a sudden you saw it. And I'd be curious to know when that was. Um, I remember that I was in middle school. I think I was in the sixth grade. Uh, and I, I was a, you know, I was I was the, you know, sort of shy, artistic you know, imaginative kid. Um, I had discovered comic books um, shortly before uh, that point. Uh, And uh, I came across uh, a copy of the gray box of Gamma World. Oh, uh, the first edition of Gamma World. Oh, yeah. um, In the the same bookstore, um, like a Hallmark store that I (laughs) bought my comic books in. Uh, they had the local spinner rack, you know, and um, they had a small shelf of, of role-playing game stuff. Um, and uh, the it, and it really it caught my eye and I, um, I like spent my, you know, hard-earned uh, allowance on it because it was a big purchase compared to, you know, uh, 50 cent comic books at the time. Um, and um, I was just fascinated by it, um, you know, especially the, the, the random mutation tables and yeah. things like that. You know, it was like rolling up superpowers, 
And so I, uh, you know, I, I like read through it all and I convinced a couple of classmates of mine um, to, to play it with me. Um, and uh, that was pretty much, you know, uh, all she wrote at that, that point. That was it, huh? Yeah. Um, you know, we, we played every, every Gamma World adventure, which was, I think, all three of them at the right. time that had, you know, were in print. Um, and when we ran out of those, we would, we started making ones up. Um, and then, uh, we discovered that Dungeons and Dragons was a thing. Uh, and so we started buying D and D modules and we had our Gamma World characters travel by dimensional portal to, uh, Crayhawk. Uh, nice. and they were, you know, with their laser guns and their mutant powers <laughs> rampaging through, you know, the, the realms of Greyhawk for quite a while. Yeah. So were you uh, pretty much the GM in that or did you guys rotate or? Uh, I've pretty much been the primary, primarily the GM in most gaming groups um, that I've been in for most of my gaming career. Yeah. Um, my current game group, we've been together for so long that um, a number of my friends also GM, you know, as far as that goes. But usually I was the, the GM slash ringleader. And was that uh, something that you were happy with or do you wish that you got to play more? Because I'm, I'm a forever GM, too, and I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm usually saying? pretty good with it. Yeah. Now, I got to ask you, of course, because of where we're headed is uh, talk to me about your love of comic books. It sounds like that happened right around the same time. I'd be really curious which comics were the ones that uh, that you fell in love with and maybe still love today. Well, it wasn't uh, too long before that, probably about a year or so before I discovered uh, RPGs. Uh, I was, um, uh, my, my family moved around a lot when I was a kid. My dad worked for the VA. Um, and, uh, so I used to think that what kids did during the summer was pack up their house and move, <laughs> yeah, um, right. you know, in between school the years, reset button. <laughs> you know, uh, so, uh, I spent, uh, one summer, um, uh, in, uh, a motel, uh, on the outskirts of Las Vegas, um, where we had just moved. Uh, we actually were, we moved to Henderson, which is just outside of Las Vegas. Um, and, uh, with my, with my parents, my younger brother and our dog. So we, I was, you know, in this motel in Vegas with my family and I'm sure my parents just out of the interest of giving me something to do so that I would stop bothering them, uh, you know, would give me a, you know, a couple of bucks and, you know, send me to the Seven Eleven you know, that was two doors down, uh, to buy some comic books so that I would have something to, to read. Um, and, um, and that's pretty much what I did for that summer was, I was, I would, you know, buy and read comic books. Um, and, uh, then, uh, I discovered that, um, there was such a thing as comic book stores, yeah, uh, which was a completely new phenomenon to me at the time. Um, and I discovered that there were back issues and, you know, um, it, again, that was just, you know, all there was to it. You know, it was, it became a weekly thing of, you know, I'm going to the comic store, I'm going to buy all my new comics and whatever money I've got left over, I'm going to buy some back issues, uh, you know, uh, and, you know, it was, I was, I was, everybody always asks, is it, is it a DC or a Marvel, uh, thing? And I was always equally you know, one way or the other, the first two comics I bought was an action comics with Superman and an issue of the Fantastic Four. So, 
you know, it was it was pretty much even either way. Sure, sure. And they were different enough, right? You got different flavors, but yeah. based off of whether it's DC or, or, or Marvel. And um, I, I love hearing the Fantastic Four. That was always my favorite. Yeah, I've always been too. a big fan. I hope my hope, my hope, my hope is that Marvel can actually make us a good movie because I don't think that's happened yet. That would be nice to see. It would be nice to see. I agree. So we're in high school um, or middle school. I'm sorry. And you're and you're playing Gamma Worlds. You you're playing Gamma Dungeon and Dragons um, yes. with the group. Now, did your love and and play continue on through high school into college mm-hmm. or did you take a break? Oh, no, very much so. Um, <laughs> OK, um, I, I started another um, gaming group in high school Um and uh, I convinced I, I was working my part time job in high school was at the local library um, and I convinced the library to start a, a game collection uh, of role playing game materials. Um, and I started a gaming group there at the at the library. Um, and um, that was uh, the core of uh, a couple of members of that group are actually still in my gaming group. <laughs> Isn't that something? No kidding. Yeah. yeah. Um, and um, you then uh, basically uh, in college, um, I made uh, a few other friends who are gamers and uh, we ended up sort of sort of um, joining our two, you know, gaming groups that existed at the time because they, they were both short of members. And um, and many of my college friends who are who are in my gaming group are still in my gaming group. <laughs> That's amazing, man. That's amazing for playing for all of those years. So um, when do you think the first itch of messing around with these games? Did you did, did you do that when you were playing them already and kind of change this or try this out? I'm, I'm, I'm curious to know when the mm-hmm. tinkering started for you. Yeah, I mean, I think everybody does. Uh, I think every game master is a game designer to one degree or another, you know, whether it's designing adventures or designing your house rules or deciding how something's going to work. Um, you know, the, the, one of the great things about tabletop role-playing games is that the, is the unexpected yeah. and, you know, things always happen in, in gameplay that you didn't see coming. Um, and so uh, you have to be, you have to think on your feet. And a lot of times it's, uh, just a, you know, this is what we're going to do in this situation because that works and it sounds like it'll be fun. Um, and other times it's, you know, this needs a more long-term fix, yep. you know, as far as that goes. And sometimes that involves creating a patch or, you know, doing a little game design. Um, so I, I think that there was a certain amount of that right from the right from the get-go. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you, you brought Gamma World into Dungeons & Dragons. So. <laughs> yes. <laughs> which I still think is phenomenal. It changes completely changes Greyhawk, by the way, if you try that yeah, out. It sure did. <laughs> now, um, so all of us, right. Tinker around, right. We make adventures, we tweaks. We don't like how they handle the grappling rules in this game. So let's just do it differently. We do stuff like that. But for you, obviously it was a little bit different. At some point you realized um, that you wanted to do a little bit more than just tinker around with your local group. When do you think you first started going? I, I want to do more. I want to make more. And get involved well, more. Um, I started um, doing some stuff uh, with an uh, an amateur press association. This is where I'm really going to date myself. Um, and <laughs> you told for, me comic books were fifty cents when you were a kid. Trust right? me, I'm older than you. <laughs> um, 
so for folks who don't know, um, uh, amateur press associations or APAs are, are uh, a thing uh, that uh, folks used to do. Um, I, don't, I don't know if they still do them anymore. Um, where uh, the the members of the the group basically would each produce their own writing, uh, whatever it might be. In this case, it was about a game. Um, you would make a number of photocopies equal to the number of people in the group. Uh, you'd mail all your photocopies to a coordinator. Isn't they would compile awesome? them all into a fanzine and mail them back out to all the members of the group. So that I don't you think I this, about any of this. So you would have a fanzine that was basically put together by however many contributors you had sure. in the group. And back in the day, uh, there were actually a couple of very famous um, APAs, like um, Alarms and Excursions, uh, that a lot of the great names uh, in uh, RPG design belonged to at one wow. point or another. Um, uh, I was involved with one uh, called Scrawls from the Sprawls. Uh, that was a Shadowrun uh, fanzine. Nice. Um, my group was hugely into Shadowrun uh, at that particular time. And so I was writing articles and short fiction and uh, things like that. Um, and other people were doing art um, and whatnot. And so we were doing this sort of quarterly fanzine um, amongst the group uh, of, I think there are probably 20 of us. Oh, wow. So it was a good sized. Yeah. Pretty good sized. Um, and uh, so that was where I first got, you know, some initial experience in terms of writing, meeting a deadline, you know, hand, handing over work to somebody uh, as far as that goes. Um, and uh, it actually eventually led to, indirectly led to my uh, writing for Shadowrun, which is my first professional uh, writing job. That's amazing. Now, I'd be curious, was there a feedback loop that happened there, too? So you're mailing in, all 20 of you are mailing in. How did you guys communicate, guys and gals, communicate with each other about, hey, I really like this, I really like that? Was there a letter section? or uh, Almost everybody did sort of a, a feedback section in their contribution. Nice. Um, that would be like a cover page or something like that. That would be just like, hey, everybody, you know, last issue was really great. And here are the things that I liked. And, you know, uh, this stuff was really cool. And here's what I'm doing in this issue, you know, sort of a thing. So I did actually get a lot of, of uh, interesting feedback uh, from people and got to read other people's stuff and provide them with feedback as well. That's fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. So guys, the Insider Insights series is my opportunity to sit down with designers, developers, artists, writers, and creators and learn how they approach their work. I try to understand their process, inspiration, and methods for crafting their creations. We're going to take a quick break. When we get back from this break, we're going to talk a little bit about writing for Shadowrun. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Alexander Zdanchuk from Riga, Latvia, and I'm a patron of Third Floor Wars. Those guys open the beauty of Malifaux Third Edition to me and continue to provide tons of great content. You can support them too. Follow the links in the show notes below or search for Third Floor Wars at patreon.com. Right now is the part of many podcasts where someone comes on, interrupts the show, and explains that you should consider paying for the content you're already getting for free. They'll go on and explain that by giving a dollar or more a month, you not only support the show, but you allow the show to grow and improve. Here on the third floor, 
We commit to not interrupting your episode of Tabletop Talk with such a plea. We pledge not to run a spot asking you to go to patreon.com and give a dollar or more a month. Even if there's a link in this show's description, and there is, we won't ask you to click it and become a patron. We won't spend time yammering about the benefits like early access to episodes, getting those episodes without ad breaks, or even getting a chance to play in one of Craig's RPG sessions. Anyway, enjoy this episode. We needed to clarify that we wouldn't do this type of solicitation. Time to give a quick shout out to our most recent patrons. A big thanks goes out to John Mahoney, Philip Masca, Joshua Edwards, Clay Pierce, Peter Sojanek, King Salt Nathan, Jimmy CZ, Wayne Peacock, Oliver Borden, Zachary Wills, J. Douglas Nielsen, Patrick Healy, Ham Dog, Greg Packman, Eric Conrad, Alan Cardinal, Raven Zato, and Philip Savoy. Because of you and the 100 other plus patrons, I'm able to put out content on a regular basis. We appreciate you. So you've, you've got this really neat magazine going where you're, you're contributing, you're getting a deadline, you're getting an idea of structure in that way. And then the feedback part I thought was really neat um, as part of that writing. And then you said this leads to writing for Shadowrun. So how did that appear? Uh, so I was also involved in uh, the uh, online fan community for Shadowrun at the time with my you know, dial up modem and you know, yeah. the, the whole you know, nine yards of the, the dark ages of the Internet. And um, at that time, uh, FASA was playtesting the second edition of Shadowrun. Um, So this is in the very early 90s. Mm -hmm. Um, And and so I I signed our group up as playtesters for the second edition. Um, And uh, I wrote up all the plays. Since I was game mastering, I wrote up all the playtest notes uh, and submitted them. Um, and, uh, I was, I was a very enthusiastic, uh, play tester. Um, I can only imagine what, uh, reading my play test notes must've been like. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, it was, so there was a lot of, Oh, or you could do this, or you could do this, um, you know, sorts of things. And, um, uh, Tom Dowd, who was the developer for Shadowrun, uh, at the time, um, he liked some of my suggestions um, and uh, he said, you know, this stuff is really, you know, this is cool. You know, uh, we could you know, definitely talk about, you know, using some of this. Um, you and, must have lost your mind. Yeah, I was super excited, you know, <laughs> yeah. about that prospect. Um, but even more so, um, it uh, ended up that um, Tom was like, well, uh, for the first um, source book, uh, we had an, an author drop out at the last minute. Um, I need like a thousand words, you know, on, you know, um, hermetic magic for the magic source book. Would you be interested in writing it? And I was like, yes, absolutely. Like, uh, you know, it was the, it was the, the, I've never agonized over writing a thousand words more in my entire career since. Well, did you, how did you even know where to, where to start? Like, I'd be stunned if I, if I put myself back at that age, Steve, and, and somebody like, like that comes up to me and I wouldn't even know where to begin. Like, where did you even start? 
Oh, that wasn't the hard part at all. You know, I mean, it was it was honestly getting it. It was one. It was getting it down to just a thousand words. No kidding. Um, and uh, trying to make sure that I felt it was it was up to the you know it was good enough that it was it was polished enough. Sure. Uh, you know, I I was super excited about the subject matter. I could have written about it all day long. Sure. And what was the feedback? So you send that first draft in and what was the feedback? It was basically, yeah, this is good. You know, Great. Um, you know, uh, would you be interested in writing something else sometime? And, you know, basically I was like, yes, absolutely. Um, and so uh, Tom hired me to write a Shadowrun adventure after that. Um, and Do you remember it, the name of it? Uh, yes, it was uh, an adventure for the, the Harlequin's Back uh, adventure anthology. So it was a short uh, adventure um, about the uh, characters on this metaplanar quest where they go to this weird masquerade uh, ball, essentially. Um, and it was a lot of fun to write, actually. That's so cool. Now, at that, before that opportunity presents itself, you're doing the thing. Had you already... Or, or, or you're like me, you had no idea what you wanted to do. Did you already have a sense of what you wanted to do for a living? And then this appeared or like, where well, were you headed as a, as a human at this point? Uh, I ended up, um, I went to college for uh, communications. Um, and uh, about the time that this um, stuff with Shadowrun is happening, I've since graduated from college. Oh, okay. um, and uh, I had um, initially thought I was going to go into journalism um, but, um, doing some, uh, internship work with the local newspapers cured me of that <laughs> desire. Um, and uh, it might've just been writing articles about, uh, New England town meetings and, you know, uh, things like that. Uh, As opposed to interstellar travel. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, it turned out that it was a little dry for my, my tastes. Um, and so I ended up, uh, working for a small tech startup uh, out of uh, college as um, a, a, basically as, as sort of their um, uh, marketing, you know, uh, slash words person. You know, uh, I was basically their resident um, uh, liberal arts major uh, because they were all tech geeks and you right. know, uh, couldn't speak to other humans, essentially. Um, and uh, which was fine. You know, it was, it was a, it was a decent job, but, uh, I, I didn't love it. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, so, uh, for uh, quite a while, a few years, uh, it was basically working my day job and, um, freelancing in my spare time, um, and writing, uh, game stuff. So when did, when was, when did it start to pile up? When did you start having to make some, some choices about the quote unquote day job? Well, that happened uh, when I finally uh, got my first novel contract. Um, after having written, uh, I wrote increasingly larger game projects for FASA. Um, after doing an adventure, I did a, um, I did, I wrote a source book, uh, essentially, um, and, uh, then, you know, other adventures and other, you know, content. Um, I actually interviewed for when Tom left, um, FASA, I actually interviewed for the Shadowrun developer job, but I didn't get it. Um, and, uh, which was probably for the best. As it's <laughs> um, 
And uh, but I did continue to freelance uh, for for FASA. And um, after a couple of years, uh, basically, I got a shot at writing a, a, a novel for the Shadowrun line. Um, and at that point, um, I, I basically did the thing they tell you not to do. And I quit my quit my day job. And then you started writing a novel at that point. Now, that was not your first time writing fiction, but this would be, would have be considered your first professional fiction work. Uh, yeah, I mean, apart from fixed short fiction that appeared in game product, right. it was. Did they approach you or did you pitch them? How did that come together as far as getting the novel? Uh, it was basically, they approached me for a pitch. Um, got it. Essentially said, you know, we've got this many novels we want to do, you know, over the next year. Do you want to, do you want to submit a pitch for one? And, you know, and I said, sure, you know, I will do that. And when's the last time you went back and looked at that book? Gosh, it's been ages honestly it's been years did it did it age well for you though do you look back on it and say you know i could it could have been better i was just a kid but i suspect i probably would think so um yeah. i i overall i have to i have a feeling overall having done a few novels that i am a better game writer than i am a novelist interesting interesting why do you think that is what's different about it for you or where do you ex why do you excel in one versus the other in your mind I think that I um, I am better at that. Games are uh, about creating an environment for other people to tell stories, and fiction is about telling a story. Um, and in some ways, I I enjoy the process of creating that environment more um, than picking out a specific story and telling it. Um, so for me, oftentimes that's the, 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 the hook. So we write the novel, you've quit your job. Now, now the pressure's on now. Now, yeah. if we're going to make a living at this, we're going to have to make a living at this because we're not making a living at anything else. What, uh, what's phase two then after you've quit the job and write the novel? Well, that became all about really diversifying. Uh, I had mostly freelanced for FASA uh, at that point on Shadowrun and on their Earth Dawn line um as well uh, but this became the point where i started uh, and i had done a couple of other small freelance projects uh, but this was where i really started to uh, try and get my name out there and, and hustle for work you know uh, basically it was you know i would write for whoever wanted to pay me sure uh, so far as that went um, and so that was really uh, when i was uh, making more contacts in the industry uh really going to um, conventions uh, to hand out my business card uh, a lot more than I was, you know, just to go and play games. Sure. Uh, you know, uh, to to meet uh, developers and editors and say, hey, you know, I'm available. Now, at any point during this, um, had you started thinking about making your own game or were you pretty much set saying, I'm going to create in, in, in for other games? Uh, well, at that time, uh, it really, the notion of creating my own game wasn't really anything more than a sort of a personal hobby project. Right. Um, because publishers created games and, you know, they hired people to write for them. Right. As far as that went. Um, and that was just the nature of the publishing business at that time. Now, things are so much different. They are. Uh, with the, the options for, for self-publishing 
uh, both electronic and print on demand uh, and resources like Kickstarter uh, and the like, uh, you know, you can you can, you know, basically create your own game out of nothing as far as that goes. But at that time, you know, unless you unless a company hired you to design a game, you you just didn't design a game. So I'd be curious. Um, we obviously know Freedom City's coming, right? And mm-hmm. um, I'd I'd be curious if that was really your first time saying like I'm going to create an entire environment, an entire world, or were there attempts before Freedom City? Uh, well, I mean, I was a game master, so I had created worlds, you know, as far as that goes. Um, but for publication, not really. Um, and uh, and Freedom City essentially was sort of a fluke uh, in so. some regards. Well, Freedom City was initially a, a freelance project. Um, it grew out of a freelance project that I, uh, I was hired to write uh, that fell through. Um, it ended up not being published, uh, and, uh, the, you know, the rights reverted to me because I was never paid. Um, <laughs> that's nice. <laughs> you know, um, and so it became one of those, uh, sort of pet projects. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and basically it became one of those things where initially, because it's, it was a freelance, it was contracted work. It, all contracted work involves a certain amount of compromise. Yep. Usually, uh, you know, at the very least, you get uh, you know a brief from the employer of you know I want this, um, and so uh, when once it was mine, um, I was like, well, screw compromise. I'll just do what I want, you know. And uh, it became sort of my my hobby project um, where I would just continue working on it. Um, and adding things to it and, you know, being like, oh, what if I did this uh, sort of thing uh, with it? Um, and uh, although it was focused on the city uh, itself, because it was supposed to be in the source book about a superhero city, um, there was obviously all sorts of bits and pieces of, well, this is the context of the greater universe that it's set in. Um, and so a lot of that stuff continued to accumulate as well over time. Now, Steve, if I went back and were to steal a bunch of your notebooks from way back then and start looking through, you know, your drafts of Freedom City, your idea books for Freedom City, or even talk to you back then, what were some of the early concepts, um, the early ideas that in your mind back then made Freedom City unique and its own thing? Well, I was strongly inspired um, by um, Kurt Busiek's Astro City you know, I'm so glad you said that because I always wondered that. <laughs> yeah, very much. Um, there, there was, a, um, and basically, it was it was two things primarily. Uh, apart from you know the notion of the the city as sort of a central character itself, um, was uh, one. It was basically you know this notion of just basically a love letter to comics. You know, it was basically just everything you love about comics. Freedom City is everything I love about comics. You know, in one place, basically. Um, and, um, um, Busiek said in, uh, one of his, um, uh, introductions about Freedom City, something I thought was really profound, um, uh, that was, uh, basically the idea that, um, a lot of, of deconstructed comics were about the notion of, you know, um, 
superpowered people in the real world or some variation of that? You know, what if what if these things really existed? You know, sort of things. Um, and his approach was the exact opposite of what if we could go into their world and what would it be like to live there? You know, um, and I loved that idea uh, and that sort of notion. Yeah. And it's it's funny. It's a very subtle difference, though, uh, but it is a real difference. And I don't think I've ever read that from him. But now, I'm, of course, as soon as you say it, I'm going back and reading all my Astro Cities again in my head. And I'm like, that's exactly what it was. It, those those weren't our cities. Those were their cities and we got to watch them. And that's that's very fascinating. So in your mind, that's what what Freedom City was going to be was is it's going to be a comic book city. It's going to be a place mm-hmm. with comic book superheroes in it. And we're going to go there. We're not going to make it ours. Does that sound accurate? Yeah. Yeah. Very basically. cool. So when does then it become more than just a pet project? When does it become more than just um, a side thing that you that you noodle on and 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 throw stuff at? When's it start becoming more real for you? I thought about the notion, obviously, because, you know, I'm uh, when you're especially when you're a freelancer, uh, you honestly think about how you can monetize everything. Sure. Yeah, (laughs) you have to. Um, And so I thought about, you know, ways I could um, essentially turn Freedom City into a product. Uh, But the difficulty I had uh, was that um, this was in the very late 90s. Uh, and, uh, there were no, it was, it was a desert as far as superhero role-playing went. Um, there was next to nothing. Yep. Um, uh, Wizards of the Coast or TSR, I should say, um, uh, still, uh, had just gotten their new Marvel superheroes, um, saga game, Marvel superheroes adventure game, um, out, um, and that was pretty much it. Um, uh, Hero System was kind of moribund and was actually sort of in legal limbo at that point. Um, and there basically weren't any other uh, superhero uh, RPGs on the market so far as that went. Well, and the whole industry was struggling a little bit at that time, too. Absolutely. It wasn't just superheroes. Um, Absolutely. I mean, this is, you know, TSR had just basically gone bankrupt and been sold off to Wizards of the Coast. Um, and so it didn't seem like there were a whole lot of options, uh, as far as that went. Um, and, um, that's, uh, and that's when I found out that, uh, Guardians of Order was going to do a superhero game. Um, and, uh, af- based on the success of their, um, tri-stat system from Big Eyes, Small Mouth and all of the various supplements and spinoffs for that, um, they announced that they were going to do uh, Silver Age Sentinels. And of course, I immediately, um, you know, said I would be happy to write for it, you know, all of that. Uh, and uh, I did get uh, I did get a writing gig uh, on the doing a couple of chapters of the core book, um, uh, the uh, the history of comic books uh, and some game mastering uh, advice. Um, and um during the uh, development process, I said, hey, you know, I have this whole superhero setting uh, that I've been working on for a while. Uh, would you guys be interested? Um, and they were like, well, we kind of, you know, already had some thoughts about the the setting, you know, uh, that, that we were going to do is sort of the, the default setup uh, for the game. Um, 
And uh, so we talked about it a bit and they ultimately decided they weren't interested. And was that the moment where you said, you know, screw it, I'm going to do this myself? No, believe it or not. Um, <laughs> it just goes back to being a pet project at it, that point? It goes back to being a pet project. Um, and uh, I end up um, um, complaining about it <laughs> to some friends of mine, which is, is how it actually goes somewhere. Um, I was on a small uh, game industry mailing list uh, with um, uh, Chris Premus and um, Nicole Lindrus and a few other uh, friends. Um, and I basically just complained to them about, I was like, oh, you know, like I've got this whole superhero setting and, you know, Guardians of Order won't publish it and I have nothing else I can do with it and all of that. Um, and I had um, done some freelance for Chris's, uh, Chris and Nicole's uh, Green Ronin Publishing uh, at that point. This is now the beginning of the, uh, the D20 uh, license boom. Um, so I had written a couple of D20 source books uh, for them uh, and uh, uh, some other short pieces. Um, and and Chris is thinking at this point about diversifying Green Ronin's offerings uh, a bit. And he's like, well, you know, he's like, you know, send me a copy. He's like, I'll take a look at it. And what condition was it in? What did you send him, Steve? I just sent him a, it was basically a word, big word document gotcha. at that point. Um, and, uh, so, uh, I sent Chris my, my draft and he read it and he's like, this is really good. Um, he's like, um, I'll tell you what, since obviously this is a superhero setting, you know, it needs a superhero game, um, in order to, you know, be a setting of something. He's like, if you want to design a D20 superhero game, uh, I will cut you a two book deal. We'll do the wow. game book, we'll do the setting book, and we'll see how it does. You know, we'll put it out there. Uh, and I was like, oh, really, D20? Does it have to be? <laughs> and he said yes. Yeah, and he's like, yeah. I mean, he's like, it's the open game license. It's the D20 market. It's like, that's, oh, that's, funny. that's what's hot, you know. That's what we have to work with. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, guys, let's take a quick break, and I want to hear more about the uh, the birth of um, what many consider one of the best superhero games out there. We'll be right back. There are so many online retailers. It can be hard to find one that is trustworthy, has great prices, along with some reliable customer service. On the third floor, we love ordering our gaming goodies from Gadzooks Gaming. Their selection of terrain, miniatures, dice, custom decor, and conversion bits are curated for gamers by gamers. You'll find they have what you need and what you didn't know you needed to take your gaming fun to the next level. If you mention Third Floor Wars in the cart notes of your order, you'll also get a free gift. And you'll help support the podcast. Check out gadzooksgaming.com and mention Third Floor Wars on checkout to get that free gift. So you're, first of all, I can't imagine the, the array of emotions, right? So there's <laughs> one, it's just like, holy cow, Freedom City might become a thing. Holy crap, I got to make a game now for Freedom City. 
and I've got to make it using D&D, but not using D&D, and I don't want it to be D&D. So as soon as Chris says that to you and you, you uh, say, yeah, I think I'm going to do this, I, uh, like I literally have no idea what you would do next, Steve. What was next? Uh, so the next thing was I um, took a copy of the system resource document, uh, which was the open license rules, versions of, of the D&D rules, basically. Um, and I, I sat down with it um, and I, I took it all apart, basically. And was like, okay, like, let's look at all of this, really. Like, how does this all work? And I, I had a pretty good sense of things. My game group had been involved in the playtest for third edition Dungeons & Dragons. So I had seen a lot of the development of the system um, and, uh, you know, I had a lot of sense of I mean, the core of it, of how it right. worked. Um, and so I was like, all right, how are we going to make this work? You know, um, and, uh, you know, I pulled a lot of things apart and uh, played around with the very uh, various ideas. Uh, and the the core of the, the D20 system is extremely simple. Yep. It's, you know, uh, you know, you roll a die, add a number, compare it against another number and you succeed or fail. And I'm like, I can totally work with that. Uh, it was, you know, the specific implementations of a lot of the more high-level superheroic stuff. And so it pretty much became about two key things uh, as I played with it. It was about figuring out the scale of things uh, and drawing along the idea that a lot of superhero games did that um, that scale is sort of logarithmic to a certain degree. Right. Um, and that, you know, having a, uh, you know, a strength of 10 is not just nine better than having a strength of one. You know, it's effectively a hundred or a thousand times better. The old Marvel superhero. Uh... Uh, you know, Marvel did it. DC did it. Lots of superhero games applied that principle, you know, to a certain degree, even D&D did it in a really limited way in that, you know, like carrying capacity increased by doublings, right. you know, um, over a short, much shorter range than you would for superheroes. Yep. So I was like, okay, I can work with that. Um, and it was, um, it, it was fixing the problem of damage dice um, because I didn't want to, uh, I didn't want the game to involve rolling, you know, 20 D six damage, uh, you know, and, and, and adding it all up at the game table. Um, I had played, I had played shadow run for a long time. I had rolled all the D sixes I needed to, uh, in my life. I had played champions all through college. I had rolled all of the 12 D six damage attacks that I needed to do if there. Yeah. Um, so I was like, um, so I looked at saving throws, uh, and I was like, okay, saving throws are the thing that you use for evading all other hazards that aren't damage. Uh, so why can't we make them work for damage too? Uh, and uh, basically it came to the notion of, you know, as long as you can have some kind of gradation in your results, uh, you can do damage saving throws. So I'd be curious if I were to go back, Steve, and look at some of the early versions of Munsip Masterminds and then say, look at the printed first edition of it. 
Um, mm-hmm. First off, what stayed the same? So what was there from the beginning that survived all the iterations uh, to hit the first first edition? Um, if we were to look back on it. Well, the the toughness saving throw, the damage save was in there from my initial pitch, basically, uh, for example. Uh, and uh, similarly, uh, so was the notion of, of sort of scaling for, for abilities and the like. Um, those were kind of the key points of the initial pitch uh, that I wrote up for Chris. And I said, okay, you know, here's what we're going to do. You know, here's what, you know, and I, I want to do, a, you know, basically point-based character creation that isn't, you know, based around classes uh, and things like that to provide more flexibility. Um, and uh, I want to do, you know, uh, these, you know, kind of, and I want to handle damage in this way, you know, this kind of thing. Um, and uh, Chris liked the over idea, overall idea of the proposal it was just really about um, figuring out the key thing uh, was that um, we were uh, moving into somewhat uncharted territory where the open game license was concerned um, because uh, there were specific requirements for the open game license to carry the, the D20 logo uh, mm. that indicated compatibility Right. Uh, with D&D. Uh, obviously, the big thing was it had to be compatible with D&D. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and this design obviously was not at all. Um, we weren't talking about a, a design where it was like, you know, bring your D&D characters into this thing and that'd be perfectly compatible. It wasn't going to be that at all. Um, and uh, so um, that was that was a risk, you know, at that point, because it was a bit of an unknown. No one had really done a product at that time like that. Um, and fortunately, you know, uh, Chris was uh, convinced that I had the right approach. Uh, so he was like, okay, we'll just, we'll forego the logo, you know, uh, wow. and people will figure it out. Yeah. So, so when it was released, it was not released as part of that license. It, it was released under the open game license, but it was not released under uh, what they call the D20 license. Got it. I didn't realize uh, those were which two was, different things. Which is a specific sub-license for that compatibility logo. Got it. Got it. Got it. Um, so through the iterations, um, the, when I talk to designers and developers, Chris, I, I keep or Steve, I keep hearing the same thing. Um, which mm-hmm. is there was one thing that plagued me and, 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 and right at the very end, like I figured it out and then it all came together. Was that true from, uh, from mutants and masterminds? Was there something that, that you struggled with and struggled with and iterated and iterated and then right towards the end, right before you knew it was ready to go, you, you kind of just figured it out. Honestly, no, it was more, honestly, it was, it was the thing, it was the stuff that I did at the beginning. Really? Um, you know, it, the, the thing, the, the hard stuff was basically how am I going to take this system and make it work for superheroes? And once I had the big pieces in place, yeah. the rest of it was just detail for the most part. <laughs> the, the, all the heavy lifting was on the, was front loaded. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So what, what did the iterations then look like uh, towards the end, Steve? Was it just tuning a little bit here, tuning a little bit there? Yeah, it was a lot of fine tuning. Um, it was uh, a lot of um, tweaking, you know, uh, different things like this needs to cost more, cost less. 
or it needs to be balanced a little bit better uh, kinds of things. Um, when Eric Mona um, uh, came on board uh, to edit uh, the the book, uh, Eric and I had a conversation of what we referred to as the, uh, the Legion of Superheroes test, um, that basically if the system couldn't create every member of the Legion of Superheroes, you know, uh, we, we weren't doing an adequate enough job, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, so we, we kind of went through the ticked off the list of like, you know, can we do all these characters, you know, with this? So, uh, yeah. And that, that was really, you know, what, uh, kind of put the finishing touches on it. So you'd, you'd played Marvel's game, you'd played DC's game, you'd played champions. Um, mm-hmm. you had, um, this was not, this was not the first superhero game that was created, but it was the first one you had created. And I'd be curious, Steve, having played all of those games, were there things, and this is not a knock on those games, right? But what, sure. what was something you were trying to fix? So when you went into Mutants and Masterminds, it wasn't going to be the Marvel DC game. It wasn't going to be Champions. What did you set out to do with it that you, that you feel, feel like was successful, that made it, made it what it is and made it yours? Well, I don't really know that, Mar- that Mutants and Masterminds was meant to address what I saw as a shortcoming in other superhero games. It was, I mean, apart from the fact that there wasn't one that wanted to publish (laughs) my setting, Yeah, you know, uh, I mean, truth be told had, you know, uh, hero games, you know, offered me a reasonable amount of money for freedom city at the time. Mutants and masterminds would have never existed. Isn't that crazy? So I wasn't really trying to address a shortcoming as such. I did design you know, like all designers, I designed toward my preferences right. in gameplay as far as that went. So things like the uh, the the toughness save system was just my preference of not rolling and adding up big handfuls of dice. Yeah, you know, because I find that tiresome. Uh, you know, so uh, that certainly was an element uh, that just reflects my you know personal preference. So um, you won a couple of awards with it. Um, you won, won a couple couple Ennies with it. Um, what do you think people saw in it? Um, what, what was the feedback like when it got out in the wild? Was there anything that people said about it, reviews that, that surprised you, either good or bad? A lot of people found it um, very, I guess a lot of people found it innovative, which was nice. Um, you know, and it, it certainly did do uh, some things with the, the D20 system at that time that hadn't really been done. Uh, so, uh, that was, you know, very flattering. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, you know, people see, and most importantly, people seem to have fun with it. Um, and you know, it, they seem to enjoy how it played. Um, and I think that a lot of people found, uh, the, the way it played, uh, reflected the source material, uh, that it felt like a superhero game. So you know, that was, you know, mission accomplished as far as that went. Well, and I t- let's be honest, uh, Steve, there's not a whole lot of games that have survived almost two decades now that, um, I know, that right? still <laughs> actively play. Like, that's got to be a mind blower to you. You yeah. can go to Twitch and watch people playing your game. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. The fact that it's still around. <laughs> it is. It really, really is. Um, so there was several supplements created for it um, by you and an association with you. I'd be curious if there's any you look particularly fondly on um, ones that you that, that you really love. Or if a kid came up and said, hey, Steve, I'm, I'm going to buy Mutants and Masterminds. What two other books should I buy? Um, mm-hmm. What are some of your favorites looking back on it? Oh, gosh, there's so many. Um, I bet. <laughs> but 
Well, um, I want your favorite Fantastic Four issue then. That's just as easy, right? <laughs> um, I I am uh, I'm very fond of um, uh, Lucien Solbon's work on Hero High. Um, oh, cool! Which was such a great source book, and just was so full of of energy and character and is just a delight. They're, they're, they're just those game books that are just delightful to read, yep. you know, uh, and Hero High is one of those uh, books. Um, and it, it just had this great um, energy to it that carried over into uh, the, the art uh, and the like. Uh, I think that Hero High is one of the first Mutants and Masterminds books where we actually have art that has um, has, has word balloons. Oh, no kidding. Um, there's not a lot of that, uh, in a lot of mutes and mastermind stuff, but a lot of the hero high stuff has word balloons and dialogue. Uh, and a lot of it is, is like really funny and like, um, so, uh, it was just such a great book. Um, and, and people have always loved it. So, um, and that's just a fun genre. Well, yeah, fun genre and, t- and takes the game to a, l- a slightly different place, right? Same world, different place. That's cool. That's very, very cool. Any other ones we should give a shout out to? Well, I have to say my other, it's not really a book per se, um, but one of my other really fond memories of, of Mutants and Masterminds um, is uh, a few years after it had been out um, and uh, I was... Uh, full-time with Green Renine at that point, uh, working in development. Um, and, uh, we were at Gen Con and I discovered that, um, my coworkers, uh, had, uh, made up a nickname, uh, for, uh, the, um, what they referred to as the Johnny Rocket fan club. Um, which uh, was their very nice way of describing the uh, young and often obviously queer uh, fans uh, who would come to the booth. Oh, this is fantastic. Looking for me. Yeah. Um, And uh, and so it would be like, oh, yeah, a couple of members of the Johnny Rocket fan club came by (laughs) earlier while you were out at lunch. You know, I told them to come back, you know, um, uh, because I I would have um, queer fans uh, come up and thank me uh, for including a, a gay character in the in Freedom City. That that has got that. I can't even imagine what that must be. It, it was nice, I have to say. Well, yeah. And, and it's very easy for us to forget today what a big deal was back then. Right. Yeah. And how it must have touched so many people. I mean, we we weren't even seeing that. I don't think we were really even seeing that in the comics yet. Um, I don't think lot. Marvel had had explored that at all. I mean, there were some independent comics that had explored it. But mm-hmm. shit, that must be cool. That must be really neat to know. Because um, I've heard this story, not this exact story, but this, these times where I've heard creators who used to be the kid that, mm-hmm. you know, idolize somebody, then suddenly, you know, they find kids coming up to them. They're like, holy shit, you're me. I used to do this to other yeah. creators. And that's got to be a really neat moment for you. It is. <laughs> that's cool. 
That's cool. The Johnny Rocket fan club. I love it. Yeah, I love that it had a, had a title and everything. Guys, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back from this break. Um, honestly, I could talk to Steve for five hours and we're not we're not going to do that to him. So this next segment, I'm going to do a terrible job of trying to condense some really neat games that he's made because I want to do a whole segment on icons because it was really what uh, made me want to get Steve on the show. But there's a lot of good games we need to talk to be- about before icons. So we'll be right back. Howdy folks, Craig here. Now, if you love gadgets as much as we do, you're going to love the new Third Floor Wars Gadget Bundle from Schooner Labs. Branded with the logo of your favorite podcast, it comes with two measuring multi-tools, a compass stepper for those tight and important movements, along with a compact dashboard to track your turn, strat, and scheme scoring, along with your soul stones and pass tokens. It is the perfect bundle for anyone who plays Malifaux or just wants to look cool while doing it. The link is in the show notes. Check them out and help support your favorite gaming podcast. You're kind of known as the superhero guy, but there's other games that you have made that um, that are very, very popular. And I'll be honest with you, Steve, I have not read Blue Rose. I don't own Blue Rose, but I've heard it as part of a lot of discussion. So for readers that are or listeners like me who don't know what Blue Rose, Blue Rose is, can you explain it? OK, so very briefly, um, Blue Rose uh, is uh, what uh, we refer to as a romantic fantasy role playing game. Uh, and uh, John Sneed, who is the um, the original designer uh, who originated the Blue Rose setting uh, and pitched it to uh, Green Ronin, um, referred to romantic fantasy as uh, the the kind of um, fantasy fiction that is usually focused around uh, the notion of um, good characters upholding, uh, uh, you know, a, a good and decent society, uh, protecting something. Um, and it tends to be somewhat in contrast to the, you know, sort of adventurers out in the wilderness sort of uh, plot that was largely the focus of D&D. Um, and so, uh, and of course, um, romantic fantasy also tends to have a preponderance of um, uh, women as authors and creators, um, and often has a lot of coming of age stories uh, and a lot of focus on uh, found family uh, and the like. Right. right. Now, did did Blue Rose find you, or did you find Blue Rose? Uh, Blue Rose found me, uh, actually, uh, when I uh, hired on with Green Ronin. Green Ronin hired me uh, as a, a developer a couple of years after Mutants and Masterminds was first published um, because it was doing well and they needed more staff uh, to manage their expanding game lines. Um, and uh, so uh, I was... Um, my one of my main jobs was going to be managing mutants and masterminds as a game line, but the first thing that actually landed on my desk was uh, was Blue Rose. Mm-hmm. Um, Chris uh, Premus basically said, "You know, we John John Sneed pitched this to us. Um, you know, we have a first draft. Uh, we need a developer to look at it. Uh, basically, he's like, I don't have time to to do it. So you're newly hired. Guess what? 
Merry Christmas. Uh, and uh, so um, I ended up um, uh, doing some supplementary design uh, on it um, and uh, used some of my the lessons I learned from designing Mutants and Masterminds because we wanted Blue Rose to be um, a, a more accessible uh, game experience in some regards. How so? Uh, well, we wanted it to be uh, a little less imposing than uh, than D and D was, uh, and to uh, hopefully reach uh, a, a broader audience as far as that went. Uh, and so we ended up changing from the notion of it being a and D setting, uh, which is kind of how it started out, um, and uh, instead making it a standalone game. It's a big decision, um, and uh, essentially using us using some of the lessons uh, from Mutes and Masterminds to produce a uh, a simplified D twenty system um, that uh, we ended up calling True Twenty. Um, that was uh, first put together for Blue Rose, uh, and. You see, keep talking about lessons you've learned. I'd be curious what some of those were. Uh, what were things that you learned in the process of making uh, M and M? Well, things, for example, like um, the, you know, how all of the various elements of the um, system resource document fit together allowed us to do things uh, like um, strip down all of the character classes to just their core elements and uh, kind of create a menu of options uh, that you could configure different kinds of characters, but it wasn't like here, learn all of these character classes, right? Uh, sort of a thing, uh, or importing mutants and masterminds uh, damage system into it. So it wasn't like you had to roll other dice for damage, those kinds of things. So what makes true 20, true 20 in your mind then if someone were to come up to you and say, you know, I'm, I, I, I know D and D and stuff. What's true 20. What, what is a, what's a good way to explain really the, the differences? What makes it true 20? Well, the core thing is that uh, you only need a D20 to play. You don't need the other dice. Um, everything is handled with the same check mechanic, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, character creation is uh, a more customizable uh, sort of structure, primarily based around uh, what uh, third edition called feats, right. um, that uh, you have a lot of those options to build out and customize your character. Um, looking, looking at Blue Rose, you, do you mark that as a success? Do you think that that was kind of a next step for you as a designer and developer? Yeah, I think Blue Rose, I was, I was overall very pleased with how Blue Rose came out. Um, we, you know, I mean, we had the, the good fortune of um, having um, Stephanie Pruman Law, um, who is the cover artist uh, for Blue Rose. The art is gorgeous. Yes, who is a <laughs> phenomenal artist. Yeah. Um, and uh, was freelancing in the game industry uh, in the early days of her career before she became justifiably famous. Yeah. Um, and uh, so we were blessed to have a gorgeous piece of art uh, by her for the cover. Um, and that really set the tone yeah. uh, for, you know, all of the, the art. Um, and graphic design uh, that went with the game and the whole aesthetic to it. Um, and um, Jeremy Crawford, uh, who is uh, now a um, 
uh, you know, lead rules designer at Wizards of the Coast for Dungeons and Dragons was uh, on board as editor. Hmm. Um, in fact, I think Blue Rose may have been his first professional game. Product. Isn't that something? Uh, so we had a lot of talent uh, that was involved in it. Um, and it, it, I think it was a good product. Um, I think that uh, it, if in any way it lacked, it was um, from uh, just, you know, not having the, it, it couldn't be as lavish a product as, as you know, it, it deserved at that time. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. So what now you're at the same time now, are you transitioning back into being more hands on with uh, the future of mutants and masterminds or mm -hmm. um, how do we transition into modern age? And then obviously the expanse, which comes around, around the same time. Um, what's the timeline look like? So I was um, developer for, of mutants and masterminds for uh, a number of years um, and oversaw uh, uh, the second edition of the game and uh, a number of various products. Um, and after a while, uh, I got a bit burned out on development. Um, yeah. And, uh, and, you know, basically it ended up being a, a fairly significant discussion uh, between me and Green Ronin because um, I, uh, I, I just wasn't happy. Uh, and, um, we ended up talking about it and I said, you know, look, basically I, I got into um, the industry to write, you know, I love to write. I love to design um, what I'm doing for development is mostly managing other people writing and designing, yep. uh, you know, and I, you know, I, I don't want to do that anymore. Um, and so they were like, okay, we will hire another developer and you can write and design. That's good answer you know <laughs> um and that's what we did um, yeah. uh john lighthouser came on board to be a mutants and masterminds developer at that time um and i went back to writing stuff um uh, and designing stuff uh, and i was much happier about it uh so far as that goes um and so um that was you know when we uh were in the um the era of um doing DC adventures um, and uh, which led to the third edition of mutants and masterminds at the same time. Um, I did primary design on that. John did development. Um, and um, then uh, we had, uh, you know, sometime after that, uh, Chris Premis's work on the dragon age uh, RPG uh, led to the development of uh, what we refer to as the age system. Uh, the adventure game engine. Um, and Green Ronin did a number of other projects uh, based on that. Uh, and um, I did uh, development on uh, a number of those, including the age edition of Blue Rose um, and uh, the uh, the Expanse. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm a huge fanboy of the Expanse, and uh, I, I can't imagine what it would be like... Um, like trying to even begin to put together a uh, game for that was were were you familiar with the books when that crossed your table or was it a whole oh, I I got some reading to do um uh actually when we initially got the license I had not read the books yeah <laughs> um and so I I got them all and read them all in like a couple of weeks 
Good for you. Wow. Because they're not uh, small books. No, they're not. They're not short books. And they're a bit of a slog towards the end, too. <laughs> uh, you know, and uh, but yeah, I mean, I, you know, once I, I, I got into them, I could obviously see, you know, the tremendous uh, gaming potential of the of the setting. So there's, you know, you take an IP like The Expanse and you, you're not writing a book in it, right? You're not writing a script for a movie or a script for the television show. Um, you're creating, as you refer to it, as a place for stories to be told. Um, mm-hmm. What are some early decisions that, looking back on it, did you make um, to say, like, this is what a role-playing game in this universe looks like? Um, does that make sense? Uh, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm trying to figure out how you situate the game. Mm-hmm. Well, some of it is, uh, you know, especially when you're you're working with a licensed property, some of it is is saying, okay, what kinds of stories... Um, are we telling here or are being told here and how can we create a supportive environment to tell stories like that? Um, so that is, uh, for example, um, why, uh, the expanse version of the age system, uh, has, uh, the fortune mechanic in it, um, which is a, a modification of the health system, uh, of the game. Uh, that uh, also allows characters to um, spend some of their health for, uh, you know, improving their die rolls for, you know, like doing a lot of the things that you do with with hero points or bennies or whatever you right. call them in various RPGs. Yeah. Um, and, and the notion that um, uh, characters can suffer from conditions and serious setbacks even though they still have a lot of fortune left necessarily depending on how they spend it right. to make characters kind of force characters players into careful decisions about their resources yeah. as far as that goes because one of the, the the themes that was really emphasized to us was that resources matter and what you do with them matters and so we needed to make that an important decision for people to make now, did you end up having conversations with uh, the two two gentlemen that uh, created created the, and wrote the books? Uh, yep. Um, uh, they, go ahead. Uh, yeah, they they were they both had uh, final approval on anything we did, uh, and so uh, we we especially in the initial stages talked back and forth a fair amount about you know while well, we're thinking about this kind of approach uh, to this or the other thing, um, and getting feedback. And, you know, that's how conversations like, you know, resources and those hard decisions are important. Um, I'd be curious if you, um, got a new insight in that process about that universe that really impacted the game. Uh, was it just the concept of the, of the idea of, of resources being a central theme in the in the books thus in the game or um what were some insights in having conversations with the authors of the back and forth uh that was one of them um mm-hmm. you know uh, it was it was definitely the notion that um big things are happening you know um and a lot of it is also about you know like what do you do when you know big things happen around you yeah. Uh, sort of a thing, you know, uh, how do you, how do you react? You know, what, you know, what is your role in that? Um, you know, and that's, that's also how we got, um, the, uh, the churn system, uh, right. in the game, 
which, you know, is is the the notion of that, you know, sort of looming thing, yep. whatever it may be, you know, that there's there's some, you know, sort of big thing looming out there at some time, some point things are going to happen uh, and you don't know exactly when, but, you know, they will. Uh, and, you know, you sort of have to be prepared for that. Yeah, it's neat. And I mean, and that's actually, you know, a a, a, a term in the books. Uh, yes. that I think it was Amos that uh, talks about the churn and where you are in the churn and it becomes a bigger thing. And that's really neat that that ended up becoming uh, an actual mechanic, uh, which makes it super thematic. Um, before we move to icons, Steve, is there other things that you look on as, as far as your contributions, things that you uh, look back and see your fingerprints on um, that you're particularly proud of? Hmm. Gosh. Um Although uh, it's been quite a few years, uh, I'm still uh, I'm still very happy with a lot of the stuff I did for Shadowrun. Um, yeah, and uh, we, uh, you know, we had a very we had a particularly fun time uh, with. Uh, I had gotten involved in Shadowrun around the time when uh, FASA was really making the uh, the setting very active in terms of of events happening. Uh, yep. in it. Um, and, uh, th so there was, there was a lot of interesting stuff, uh, that was a lot of fun to do. Um, and I still, uh, occasionally hear very nice things, uh, about, um, the, the whole notion of, um, uh, Dunkles on the dragon running for president and, <laughs> you know, uh, the, all of the fallout of that uh, yep. campaign and the like. So that's um, neat. That's yeah. Neat. You know, what's funny fun. about Shadowrun, because I was not a big Shadowrun person. I've tried it a couple of times and it just didn't click with me. But what I've always found very interesting about Shadowrun is nobody ever says, yeah, it's fine. Like, mm -hmm. like either you love Shadowrun or you just didn't play it. Like, I've never Pretty met much. anybody who's milk, you know, milk warm on it. Like, it, like the people that love Shadowrun love, love Shadowrun. Shadowrun. Yeah. They really do. It's very, very cool. So, guys, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to get back from the break. We're going to talk about Icons, which is the game of all of these that we've talked about that I think I've spent the most time with and I have the most questions about. We'll be right back. Howdy friends, Greg here. Nothing makes Malifaux easier than having the right tools. Here at the third floor, we love all the licensed Malifaux goodies from Custom Meeple. Not only are they helping support this podcast, they sell custom-made weird licensed tokens and terrain. They sell it all. Crew boxes, terrain, markers, tokens, and even a 3x3 full Malifaux board. Custom Meeple sells a complete M3E token set covering every marker and token you need to play. Custom Meeple are the source for the official accessories for Malifaux. Everything is designed by hand and authorized by Weird Games. Check them out at custommeeple.com. That's with one M. Or follow the link in the show notes. Up your Malifaux game and be sure to tell them Craig from the third floor sent you. If you use the promo code third floor friend, all one word, T-H-I-R-D-F-L-O-O-R-F-R-I-E-N-D, you'll get a 5% discount and help support the podcast. It's valid on everything except retail products and playmats. So during the break, I had to make a confession to Steve that um, I was about halfway through reading icons before I realized it was the Steve Steve from Mutants and Masterminds. I didn't realize it was the same person. Um, and to my, in my defense, Steve, I think that if we'd covered the name on the front, 
there's a big difference between mutants and masterminds and icons. They are not the same game, even though they're technically superhero games. So my first big question for you is where does the itch start? Um, so if we go back forensically and say there at some point there was this little seed, right? This little itch in the back of your head that, that, that became icons. What, what did that itch feel like? Um, <laughs> my, my coworkers at Green Ronin like to joke that I have a, I have a problem, uh, <laughs> you know, that, that I can, you know, I can stop, you know, designing superhero games anytime I want, you know, <laughs> um, and uh, icons uh, started out um, with my interest in um, uh, Stefano Sullivan's design for Fudge, um, which is uh, the the ancestor slash cousin of Fate, uh, the the somewhat more famous iteration uh, of the Fudge system. Um, but um, I uh, was always really fond of Stefan's design uh, for for Fudge. I actually got a uh, chance to meet him because he's a fellow New Hampshireite. Oh, um, okay. And um, we were I, uh, together up at a, a game con up in Plymouth, upstate. Um, so uh, I was playing around uh, with an iteration uh, of the of that system, and. Um, one of the things I liked about it was its um, focus on using descriptive words to talk about uh, characters' abilities rather than numbers specifically. Yep. Uh, you know, the numbers and the math were there, uh, but uh, it focused on the words. Uh, and uh, another system that did the similar thing was uh, TSR's Marvel Superheroes yep. uh, system. Uh, which I had always uh, uh, been fond of. And so I initially started kind of toying around with the notion of uh, looking at similarities in those systems. Uh, and like, what if you extended Fudge's scale and, you know, added more descriptive things to it? And, uh, and Fudge had a scaling system that I wasn't really super crazy about. Um, and so I started noodling around a lot of that. Um, and um, then uh, I, I was also, um, I got a, a thing about um, uh, random character generation. <laughs> um, and uh, that had been my initial experience with gaming, really, especially with superhero gaming, uh, was those random mutation tables from Gamma World and uh, my first part of superhero Marvel's game. game. Yep, Marvel yep. superheroes. My first superhero game was Vigil Villains and Vigilantes. You know, um, and so uh, you know the the notion of rolling up superheroes was an interesting one. Um, and so, I, so I started playing around with that, um, and you know, kind of looking at the two things in a relationship to each other. Um, and it was another one of those just sort of hobby side projects that I, I played around with for fun uh, as far as that went, you know, and I was, you know, I had enough professional work that I wasn't really thinking about doing all that much with it beyond that at the time. So when does it, so it's, it's this amorphous thing that you noodle around with, you go to and make a random table or figure out, you know, yeah, maybe if I try this out at some point though, it starts to gel, right? It starts to form a little bit. When, what was, what was the initial jump that made you go, wow, maybe this isn't just me goofing off? 
the thing that, well, honestly, the fact that it worked. <laughs> you <laughs> <That know. helps. laughs> I mean, you know, you, 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 you hit the point in a design where you're like, uh, you know, you, for all intents and purposes, you, you, you create characters, you play test. Um, and it's like, you know, the, the first running of a prototype, yeah. you know, where, where you like, you know, you, you pull the switch or, you know, you hit, you know, whatever, and it, it runs, you know, yeah. you're like, okay, maybe this thing works, you know, like there's something here, um, you know, and, uh, so yeah, I realized that it was, you know, functional, like it, it could do some interesting things as far as that went. And so you decide you're going to put this out as your own thing. Um, I didn't initially. Oh, really? Tell me. No, no, the real impetus actually to finish the design ended up being another one of those uh, sort of um, professional happenstances. Um, um, Gareth Skarka uh, of um, Adamant Entertainment um, happened to mention, um, uh, you know, on some online forum that we we shared in common uh that basically he was looking to hire a designer to design a superhero game uh, and he listed basically the sort of things he wanted uh, and i was like wow that's my design <laughs> turns out <laughs> you know and so i was like so i wrote him i wrote i wrote him an email i was like so gareth it's funny you should mention that because i have designed that game <laughs> You know, basically, uh, I was like, you want to take a look at my draft? Um, and he's like, yes, I would like to publish this. Oh, no kidding. You know, he's like, how soon can you finish it? Isn't um, that something? And so we we talked, you know, um, terms and all of that. And um, I uh, I finished the, uh, the design um, and... Uh, Gareth, uh, Gareth's Adamant Entertainment put out the first edition uh, of Icons, um, and uh, we had worked out some plans for some supplementary material. Um, but unfortunately, after uh, doing um, one source book and uh, a number of short adventures, um, uh, you know, like so many uh, in the industry, Gareth's you know, Adamant Entertainment is a one-man show, um, you know, and uh, he ran into difficulties with other projects uh, and the like. Um, uh, icons kind of fell by the wayside. And um, I, as it so happened, uh, had a clause in my contract that let me take the rights back. Um, so, uh, Gareth and I sat down for a conversation, you know, um, and I said, you know, look, you know, you've got enough on your plate, you know, I still want to do something with this, you know, sort of thing. We reached a mutually agreeable, you know, situation. Um, and, uh, yeah. And I started self-publishing it. I put together the, um, Kickstarter for, uh, the great power source book, which I had already been writing at that time. Um, and then, um, uh, did the uh, the assembled edition, uh, which is the current core rulebook? Yeah, and that's the one that, that was my introduction to it. Was the assembled edition? Um, so, a uh, couple things. One, um, it's it's got a very specific look, um, and a, a very specific look, and it's it, it's specific from from the art to the fonts to the layout. 
And I wonder what was first? Was it you saying, I want to create a game that looks and feels like this, or I'm going to create this game and, and this is how it's going to look and feel. How did the two influence each other or didn't they? Uh, I was very big on the notion that I wanted icons to have sort of a, a what I refer to as an animated series sort of look to it. Um, I just really liked the style of it. Um, I, you know, I was super into you know, the Justice League animated series, I think, at the time as well. Um, and it was just, you know, it was kind of a golden age for superhero animation. Um, and, uh, you know, I really liked the look and feel of it. It was really fun. Um, it was it was unique because there really wasn't anything quite like it uh, at the time. And I wanted something a little different uh, as far as that went. And honestly, I wanted icons to have a little more kid appeal so far as it went. Um, and just to be, and honestly, I, it, in relation to that, a little more parent appeal, um, because one of the things I saw a lot when I was, I was playtesting and demoing icons, and I saw some with Beats and Masterminds as well, was a lot of parents who wanted to teach their kids games. Yeah. Um, and oftentimes had a hard time finding things that were appropriate as far as that went. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to ask you the same question I asked about uh, reactions, because I've always found this a, to be a fan, uh, fascinating conversation. You put out something so different from anything you'd put out before and, mm -hmm. and built built an, on an architecture that was very unique for you, uh, not only for you, but really for anybody. Um, uh, what what was the reactions like? What were the first reactions? And did it was this something where people got it right out of the gate or you felt like it had to marinate a little bit before people started realizing what you put together? Well, for better or for worse, the first reaction was pretty broadly. Why did you do this? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I told you. Yeah. 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 I mean, there was there was a lot of aren't you the mutants and masterminds guy? Why didn't you? Why did you do this? Yeah. Uh, sort of a thing. And I was like, what? You only eat one thing? <laughs> Sometimes we were going to order Thai, okay? <laughs> right. Like, you know, I like pizza, but it doesn't mean that I don't like Chinese. But but I'm fascinated by um, the, 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 got a little bit of a cult following for this game. Like this game has got some very passionate fans mm -hmm. and I'd be curious, you have a sense of why that is. And it's not that your other games don't, but I, there's something that looks and feels very unique to me about the, the fandom around icons. And I wonder if you have a sense of what that is. You know, I honestly, I have to say, I wish I knew, um, as far as that goes, I, I mean, you're right. Icons is blessed with a, a, a really enthusiastic fan yeah. community. Enthusiastic is the best word. Yeah. And that's, and that's wonderful, you know, and I, I, you know, I'm always blown away by that. Um, but, um, you know, I, I think that, you know, people just, you know, they, I think they groove on the, on the game, um, and on how it presents, uh, characters, uh, so far as that goes, um, and, you know, just enjoy putting, you know, putting together characters for, with it as far as that goes. Have you uh, had an opportunity either during a play test or at a con or maybe uh, watching Twitch or something like that? Have you seen somebody do something with your game that you're like, well, I never would have thought of that. And that's pretty cool that I just saw that happen. Have you seen somebody else play your game in a way you didn't anticipate? And it doesn't have to be for icons. It could be any of your games. Oh, gosh. Um, 
Well, uh, there is a particular icons uh, story that I love um, that is uh, about, and I, I actually have it secondhand, uh, but a, um, a, a, a player in one of my icons demo games um, uh, told me about how he had uh, played icons with his son um, and how um, his uh, his son like had this perfect grasp of the qualities system in icons uh, you know like like even better than most of the people I had played with uh, to the point where he talked about this whole climatic moment um, where they're they're fighting this giant monster sort of a thing um, and where um, you know this kid who I think was you know like, nine years old or something, uh, you know, is uh, like, um, you know, suddenly decides that one of his character's qualities is that he is secretly a robot. And and literally, you know, he's like, I'm going to be able to do this because I am secretly a robot, you know, and like, it's like all in on his determination points. Oh, my you know, God. And, you know, all of that. And I was like, that is perfect that is yep. exactly you know the kind of you know game moment that i i wanted well and it, it has that look and feel of watching an episode of justice league animated you know like yeah. it's just got that that da, kind of that's really really neat and it's isn't it funny that in some ways a nine-year-old um it I, I grasps something like that much easier than some old 50 old, 45 50 year old like me would <laughs> yeah i think it, i think it's because we overthink it <laughs> i could not agree more could not agree more um my daughter's only seven and i'm like slowly starting to introduce this hobby to her and like i go in like okay honey and she's like dad i got this like like what the hell like right. this is easy and i'm like oh shit okay yeah <laughs> we have to learn how to play they already know how to uh mm -hmm. it's amazing um i so i'd be curious about uh tomorrow and after that steve so um uh two questions one is there things you're working on now that you're super excited about that you want to talk about uh sure i mean as in as much as i can you know i mean the, obviously the, yeah yeah the, the running joke in the industry you know when you ask somebody what they're working on is, you know, the proper answer is upholding my non-disclosure agreement. That's right. You know? yeah. um, but um, as far as that, as far as the stuff I'm, I'm working on now, uh, I, uh, this year I started up a, a Patreon uh, for icons um, in order to, uh, you know, basically just be able to do some, uh, you know, month to month content. Um, I, I've, I've, release I've lost count eight or nine icons books um, all together and um, although I want to do some more ad short adventures and some other updating of some of the older uh, material um, a lot of times it's it's tricky to do um, just a sort of steady stream of content um, and so the Patreon is great in terms of letting me write short things um, that I know are going to earn out and be worth my time um, and uh, that, you know, can provide some content for the fans uh, and uh, especially get their feedback and input on what they're most interested in. I've been doing uh, votes and polls, you know, to see what people want to see most. Um, as far as that goes. Um, so that's been, that's been a lot of fun. Um, and, uh, I have to say that nothing sharpens the mind like a, 
a monthly deadline. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, it, it also ensures that I, you know, keep productive. Yep. Um, you know, so far as that goes. Yeah. I mean, it um, by no means is me putting on a podcast anywhere close to what you're doing. But like, you know, I you sit down and you don't feel like doing it, but you do it. Right. Yeah, and you do and it. You have to do expect it. it. And um, I don't know if it's for you, this happens to you or not, but sometimes that's where some of the best shit comes out. Like when you were mm-hmm. like, there's some times where I've had ideas where I was like, I don't feel like freaking doing this. And I like I'm come out of it. I'm like, oh, crap, that's kind of cool. Yeah, um, absolutely. But having that structure sometimes can be good. Um, how about some non Kenson games that you're enjoying right now? Is there anything in far as board games or role playing games or even computer games, stuff that you that Steve, not the creator, but Steve, the player is enjoying? Uh, I gotta say, I am enjoying uh, playing fifth edition D anD D a lot. Look at you! <laughs> I really am. And um, why is that? It's it's just a lot of fun, you That's know. Great. Um, you know, uh, over the the last over the pandemic year, um, Green Ronin um, started up a company D anD D game um, that we play on uh, Roll Twenty. And, uh, it has been a blast. That's awesome. You know, uh, you know, it's just, it's, you know, it's just like, you know, the, you know, gaming when I was playing D and D when I was a kid. That's great. That's great. That is not what I anticipated to hear you say, Stephen. That's wonderful. <laughs> that's wonderful that uh, that you're discovering that with you. And um, that's got to be kind of a neat uh, work retreat type thing where you, you know, you work with these people and then you, mm-hmm. you play with these people. And I would imagine there's some sparks that are flying or some ideas that end up coming out of that process. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so, Steve, obviously people can go to Patreon. Um, yeah. and check out the, what you're doing there. And I'll have a link to that in the notes. They can also go to Green Ronin and they can see um, and pick up a lot of your work. Is there anywhere else if someone wants more, Mr. Kenson, where should they go? Uh, I have a site at stevekenson.com um, with my, you know, bibliography and a bunch of my articles. And, you know, if you want to see my random musings about things and, you know, my, uh, you know, uh, like, oh, I had this idea about D&D, you know, uh, kind of thing. Uh, yep. As far as that goes, uh, I'm I'm not great at updating my blog. It happens whenever I feel like it, basically. Um, but it is sort of the central place to find, uh, you know, stuff related to my work. Perfect. Perfect. Well, for those of you that stuck around to the end, I appreciate you listening. And Stephen, I can't thank you enough for uh, coming on the show. Thanks very much for having me. I appreciate right. it. Those of you who stay to the end, thanks for listening. Take care. Hey, did you hear that? You leveled up. You finished another episode of Tabletop Talk from Third Floor Wars. If you want more from the third floor, follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Head on over to our YouTube channel. It is packed with painting tutorials, gaming tips, battle reports, and role-playing actual plays. Did you enjoy this episode? Why don't you send a link to one of your friends so they can enjoy it too? Last but not least, write us a review on your podcatcher of choice. This helps us find listeners almost as cool as you. So you should have been there, Steve. Um, Mm -hmm. I was... uh, God, who had recommended me icons and I saw mm-hmm. the artwork and I'm like, oh, this is kind of cool. And, um, you know, read a little bit of the mechanics. So I went and grabbed it. Um, I probably was like two thirds of the way through the book before I realized it was you and like, <laughs> and made the connection. I'm like, yeah. son of a bitch, it's the guy that did the mastermind. So it was pretty funny. <laughs> All right. I'll bring us back.
Um, yeah, I wouldn't kidding. I, I like I literally could do a whole episode on the expanse with you. <laughs> um, all right. Um, how would you, how do you want to go through these, Steve? What, what is the best thing? Um, is there well, one? I got, I've got Blue Rose, Modern mm-hmm. Age, and Expanse. Is there any ones that I'm missing that you want that you think we should make part of this conversation, or is that is that a good good grouping here? Or yeah, is there any of these that we, you don't want to talk about? No, I'm happy to talk about all of them as okay. far as it goes. Great. Um, you know, as far as Modern Age goes, I my involvement in Modern Age was mostly tangential in that Modern Age and Expanse were developed at the same time. Got it. Okay, so uh, let me group them so together. I did do some writing together. for Modern Age, but I was not lead developer, lead design Got on it. it. Uh, that was Malcolm Shepard. Awesome. That helps. Perfect. Um, and I don't know much about Blue Rose, so I'm really excited about to talk oh, about great. it. Yeah, learn about it. Okay, great. Um, so, guys, we're going to take a quick break. We get from back to try that again. Oh, that's funny. Does it have to be D20? That was totally my reaction. <laughs> you just tired of D20 at that point? You know, well, you know, it was it, it was D&D, you right. know. Right. So I was like, oh, like, I, what? You know, I'm going to, like, create, like, third level superhero characters. Oh, that's phenomenal. That's phenomenal. I'll bring us back. <laughs> that was outstanding, Steve. Thank you. Great. Right. Um, so I tried to do as much research as I could, Steve, to piece mm-hmm. together this time. You know better than I do. So I'm just going to kind of kick it off and we'll see where it goes. Um, sure. Does that sound good to you? Yep. Perfect. Okay, great. you still here look uh the podcast is over and you sat through all of the breaks and bloopers well i mean if you're here might as well run over to patreon.com and become a supporter don't forget to rate and review this podcast too while you're at it on whatever platform you're listening to i do appreciate you sticking around take care <laughs>